Good morning. My name is Pastor Kimmy, and I'm so thrilled to be with you this morning. You know, we're going to dig into the Word of God, and there's just nothing else that I'd rather do than spend time with God. And so I'm just so thrilled to be able to share with you this morning. Uh, But before we get into the Word, I just wanted to share something kind of funny that's been happening while I've been journeying this uh, last couple months with COVID. So in case you didn't know, I love coffee. There's actually quite a few of our staff members. We all love coffee. We just really love coffee. And I especially love McDonald's coffee. It's just so delicious. And every morning on my way to the church office, I would drive through and pick up my McDonald's coffee. Large with one cream. That's my favorite. And so I would do this every single day as I would come into the church office. Well, when COVID hit, and we had to stay home, I really didn't know what to do. Like, how was I going to get my coffee? So I made coffee for the first couple days, maybe a couple weeks, and it was good. Like, it was still, it was good coffee. It it tasted delicious, but it wasn't quite as good as my McDonald's coffee. So what I decided to do was anytime my husband or I were out doing errands, when we were coming home, we would go through McDonald's and get a tray of coffees. Yes, I'm confessing. I would get a tray of coffee. So I'd get like four large, coffees with one cream and then I'd come home and I wouldn't drink them all I would savor them and and I would just have one coffee per day over the next couple mornings right so I'd wake up and I'd do my routine and then go and microwave my McDonald's coffee and have my coffee every single morning and so we've been doing that for the last couple months during COVID and uh, I just wanted to share with you I thought that was kind of a funny thing and something that I I would probably confess I'm pretty addicted to, which is McDonald's coffee. Well, we're going to talk about addictions and temptations today, but before we do, let me open in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our blessing, and we thank you that you've blessed us with your word, that you, that you teach us and shape us and mold us. And so, Jesus, I just pray that you would invade every home, Lord God, right now, just that your presence would just be thick and that we would encounter you this morning as we just soak in your word. You are so good to us, Jesus. Thank you. In your name, amen. So we're going to take a look at a story from Luke chapter 15, and we're going to start it. It starts out at verse 11, but I'm actually going to paraphrase a little bit, and then we're going to get into some of the scripture. I wanted to give you a little bit of the backstory. So Jesus is teaching uh, a, a group of people, and he's got the tax collectors there, notorious sinners there, and disciples, and he's teaching all of them about God. And the Pharisees see what happened, what's happening, and they don't like it, right? They don't like it that Jesus is teaching about God. And so Jesus sees this. He sees their frustration. He recognizes it. And what he does is he tells an incredible parable to get his point across. And so that's where we start in Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus is telling this story of a loving father. And so many of us know the story as the prodigal son, and it's a story of two sons, 
But really, it's a story of God's lavish love for every single one of us. So I hope you really pay attention to some of the the symbolism and the pictures and the way that Jesus tells this parable is actually like a message for every single one of us to pay attention. So I hope that you'll really be engaged with me today. You see, we are all prodigals. We've all been away from the Father at some point and come back to the Father. And that's certainly what happened with our young son in our story today. So it starts out with the young son who tells his father, basically, that he wants his share of the inheritance now. So the father's not dead. The father's still alive, but the son goes to him and says, I want my inheritance now. I'm not willing to wait for you to die. I don't care if you're alive or you're dead. I'm basically going to slap you in the face and say, none of those things matter to me. I just want what's coming to me. I want my inheritance Right? And in those days, what would have happened in a a Hebrew home is that once the father passed away, the inheritance would go to the sons. And so in this story, there are two sons. So the oldest son would get a double portion of the inheritance, and the younger son would get a third, right? He'd get a third of the inheritance. And, and they didn't have bankfuls of money where the father could go and just, you know, make a withdrawal and give the money to the son. Most of their estate was in property. It was in land. And so that father would have to go and sell a third of the estate, a third of the land, so that he could give it to the youngest son. And the, young, the loving father in our story, he looks beyond the selfish actions of his youngest son, and he blesses him, and he does it, and he gives him the inheritance. Well, the younger son, he packs up all of his belongings, and he heads out to party. Kind of like spring break in Florida. Like he is going out full on and he is going to party, live wild and fancy and loose. And what he does is he ends up spending all of his money so that he has nothing left. He, he kind of lives like he has one of those black credit cards. Have you heard of those ones? Like where if you're a billionaire, you have like one of those like unlimited black credit cards. Well, it, the young son kind of acts like that's the kind of credit card card he's got and he's just out lavishly spending his money when the reality is he's probably got like a Spruce Credit Union or Capital One credit card that's only got like a few thousand dollars on it. And so it doesn't take very long before the young son is bankrupt and he has nothing. He has no future, he has no land, he has no job, he has no income. And So it doesn't take too long for him to sober up and to realize that he's hungry. And so he ends up getting a job feeding some pigs. And he doesn't even have enough money to buy his next meal. He realizes, it's like this this moment, this epiphany, where he realizes that the farmhands back at his dad's place actually have it better than he does right now. And so he decides that he's going to head back home and see if his father is not too angry and if he'll accept him back. And so on the way to his father's house, he's like planning out exactly what he's going to say to the father, to his father. He's like rehearsing this scenario in his head. He's preparing himself so that he's ready and he knows exactly what to say to his father. And this is where we jump in on verse 18. 
This is what he's playing out in his head. This is what he's rehearsing. He's going to say, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. Right? So this is still the rehearsal in his head. This is what the young son is thinking that he'll say, that he'll hopefully win his father back. As he's heading back to his family home, his father sees him off in the distance and recognizes him. And in verse 20, with great compassion, great compassion that swelled up in his heart for his son, sorry, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him all over with tender love. It was such an act of kindness. You see, patriarchal fathers, the head of the home, they didn't run to go and to meet a child. If, if a child had been hurt or something had happened, the mother might run. The mother might run to go to that child to, to help them to come to their aid. But the father did not. You see, the father would have been wearing long robes that would go all the way to the ground. And he'd have to actually pick up those robes in order to run and that was just something so undignified that the father would not have done because of social pressure because of expectations of other people and yet this father in our story he doesn't care he is uninhibited he is unabandoned and he lifts his robe and he runs out to meet his son and then he greets him with such compassion and in my house we call this the smackdown. Now, it's nothing physical, it's nothing harmful, but, but what we thought when our kids were little was that a smack, which is a kiss, like mwah, 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 uh, was kind of a fun thing, and so we'd call it a smackdown. And so we would love and lavishly pour love all over our kids by kissing them and smacking them with kisses all over their face and tickling them and embracing them and making sure that they knew they were so loved, so treasured. And this is the response of the father to his son. He's just uninhibited and just lavishly welcomes this boy back into his arms. Now remember, the son's got it all rehearsed, what he's going to say to the father. And so he says, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. And, and then he's cut off. Right? Remember that the son has rehearsed all, in, all of this in his mind, that he is going to grovel at the father's feet, that he'll throw himself probably at his feet, just hoping that he would just let him be a hired hand. And I wonder if you have ever said those words to Jesus. I have sinned against you, God. I am not worthy. I don't deserve your mercy. I don't deserve your forgiveness, but I come to you, to your feet, and I just hope that you would receive me. And what happens? The Father just pours that love over you, peace and forgiveness and love. Before you can even get all the words out, he's already lavishly loving us. The story continues on, and the Father interrupted the Son and says, Son, you're home now. 
He doesn't even care what's happened. He's so excited to see his son. He turns to his servants, and the father said, Quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. You see, this robe that was worn by the father was worn by the head of the household, and it would have been something similar to what maybe a a priest or a king or somebody of rank would have had, this kind of coat. And the father is saying, go get my coat and bring it for my son. And for each of us, this is the coat of salvation, the father's coat. You see, the son didn't do anything to earn that coat. He didn't contribute to the coat. He didn't help sew the coat, make the coat. He did not do anything to deserve that coat. It was a free gift from the father to the son. And it's just like us. We cannot earn salvation. It's a free gift, the coat of salvation that God gives to every single one of us who believe. Then next in our story, The father says, bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger. And culturally, the ring was an emblem of authority, giving the son authority to transact business in the father's name. And for us, this was a picture of the seal of the Holy Spirit. For for the son, it was the seal of a ring. For us, it's the seal of the Holy Spirit. Again, that is given to every single one of us who believe. The Spirit is alive in you and sealed in your heart when you have made a commitment to God. Next it says, the father responded with, bring out the best shoes that you can find for my son. You see, slaves were barefoot, but the father says, you are no longer a slave. You are family. Get the shoes for my son because he is welcomed back into the presence of my home. Then in 23, it says, let's prepare a great feast. And the Greek text is, kill the grain-fattened calf. And this was a picture of feasting upon the complete work of Christ who was sacrificed for us. And then we're to celebrate for this beloved son of mine was once dead. And that word dead in the Greek actually means spiritually dead, deceased, living away from God. And he's like, my son was dead, but now he's alive again. And in the Greek, the word alive means to revive, to regain strength, to be resurrected, to be restored. You see, he once was lost. He was destroyed. He was ruined. He was useless. But now he is found. He is discovered, understood, and recognized. And everybody celebrated with overflowing joy. And that's kind of like for for us, when, when a new believer comes to know God, there's a party in heaven. There is an overflowing joy that comes out of heaven when you receive Christ. You see, this isn't a story so much about a son. This is actually a story about a father, God the Father, a father who loves you and welcomes you back into his arms over and over again. And you see, Jesus told us this parable because he was actually redefining God to the people. Right up to this point, God was a lot of names to the Hebrew people. 
One of them was YHWH, which was the tetragrammaton, and it was a four-letter Hebrew word, and it meant the name of the God of Israel. And it was actually so holy, they wouldn't even say God's name. They wouldn't even say YHWH. There was other names that, that they used to describe God in the Old Testament, like Yahweh and El Shaddai and El Roy and Elohim and so many more. And these were the names of the God that they knew, sovereign, creator, almighty, healer, powerful. And they were common Old Testament names for God. You see, God was called God the Father in the Old Testament, but it really became a focus in the New Testament because Jesus referred to his Father. Jesus said, I do what the Father does. Jesus says, I do the will of the Father. He reflected the character of the Father. He came from the Father, returned to the Father. He honored the Father. He knew the Father. And he includes this story to show us that it's about a father's love for his children, for every single one of us. You see, this story is about a father's heart, and that heart is for you and it's for me. And it's not an example that we should give our kids trips to Florida for spring break and, and pay for things that are going to lead them to immorality. It's not that kind of a story at all. It's a story of unlimited, uninhabited, unabandoned love from God the Father to every single one of us. You see, we are that younger son. So often, we are that child that slaps God in the face when we ask for blessing and provision and forgiveness. And yet, church, we turn our heads away from obedience and sacrifice and submission. We ask God for our inheritance now, but then we run around with no regard for spiritual growth. We say, God, I want you to defeat my addictions. I want you to have freedom in my life. I want you to break free in my life. But I don't want to put in any effort. Could you just make it like a miraculous intervention, Jesus? Like, could you just make it really easy for me? Like, just snap your fingers and all of that desire for junk food and social media and alcohol and pornography will just go away? Like, is that what breakthrough is, Jesus? Could you just do that for me? Just snap your fingers? Could you just make it easy? You see, God can overcome all of those addictions, he can overcome all those temptations. But if he snaps his fingers and does it in an instant for us, how are we going to grow? How are our behaviors going to change? How will our character develop if God snaps his fingers and takes away all of that temptation? Jensen Franklin says, God gives us the coat of salvation, and he's responsible for that. But there's also the coat of Christian character, and we are responsible for that. That's up to us. He says, your position in Christ is what Christ did for you on the cross. But there's your condition in Christ, and that's how we respond to God's grace. Right? 
That's how we practice our faith, is, is through the lifestyle that we lead, that we let our light shine, that we don't sleep with our boyfriend or girlfriend before marriage because we want to make a difference. We are different and we want to make a difference. We might go to the party with our friends, but we don't get drunk because we want godly character to overcome in our lives. And that means that we choose it. We choose it. We need obedience. We need submission. We need surrender. We need spiritual formation. And you know, honestly, we don't like to talk about these things. These are hard things. We like to talk about the love part and not the accountability part because we're just hoping God will snap his fingers and take away all of those old bad habits. But that doesn't teach us a single thing. And honestly, if he did, that would be entitlement. And that doesn't grow or change our character. You see, it's going to get messy and it's going to be hard if we want spiritual formation, if we want character development, if we want to look more like Jesus and reflect his goodness in our lives, it's going to take some effort, right? I want Jesus. I need Jesus. I want him to overcome in my life. Then I recognize I can't do this on my own, but I'm not expecting that this is going to be an easy road. And please, please hear me. Like, don't confuse these two ideas that commitment to God and obedience and accountability is, is some way of earning God's love. It's not. It's not. Just like the son who threw away all of his inheritance and God welcomed him back, God welcomes you back. You do not need to do anything to earn his love. It is lavish and unlimited and he's always going to love you. No matter what your sin is in the past, no matter what you have done, he loves you lavishly unlimitedly but he does say I want obedience I need obedience I need you to surrender if we're going to work on your heart your behaviors your habits the temptation in your life that's going to take some work Levi Lesko says you are more powerful than you think but not on your own Listen, you are no match for the war that you're facing, but the war is no match for God, right? The temptation that you're facing is no match for God. You have power through Jesus Christ. And I know that addictions are up. I did some research this week, and I was, I was blown away by the ways that we are using our extra time to numb our emotions during COVID, just during COVID. Pornography is a global $97 billion industry per year. Pornography is actually bigger than all other entertainment added up together. It's actually bigger than that. There are 420 million pornography sites that you can visit. And in February, a cruise ship off the coast of Japan that was under quarantine due, due to COVID-19 was given free access to pornography to help people pass the time. Canadian research says that social media usage is up 70% since 
since we've been isolated with COVID. And in some weeks over the last two months, it's been up 83%. In BC alone, liquor sales are up 153%. Cannabis purchases are up 600% in Ontario. And an Australian study says that gambling is up 67% just in Australia. And don't even get me started about the addiction with our toilet paper, right? This is how we're filling our time. And some of these things, some, not all, are okay in moderation. And I'm not going to judge and tell you which ones and and try and make you feel bad. That's, that's not at all what today is about. See, some of these things are okay in moderation, but it's up to you and God to decide that together. But you see, what, what is so harmful about some of the things on this list is that they've become addictions for people, and they're actually killing our families, our relationships, and our mental health. You see, the reason that we have a temptation that leads to addiction is that we've all been created with a hole in our soul, basically a hole that perfectly fits only one thing. And we try to put a whole bunch of other things in there to satisfy our craving to belong, to satisfy our need to feel needed, to feel loved, to feel wanted. And so we put all these different kinds of things into this hole trying to satisfy that craving. And that temptation becomes an addiction. And so it's kind of like my ping pong balls here are like my temptations that become addictions. And I just keep trying to fill this hole. I just keep trying to put anything I possibly can into this place to numb my emotions, to make me feel better about me. I'm just trying to put everything in there. But there's only one thing that's actually going to fill that up. You see, God knows what we're doing with our time. He knows what our focus is. He knows that we're numbing our emotions, that we're avoiding the loneliness. He knows our temptations. And some of them he even allows because he's developing character in us. Proverbs 28.13 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. See, this is what the son did in our Bible story. He came to the father and he confessed. He said, I don't deserve it, but would you, would you forgive me? You see, temptation reveals our weaknesses because we have this hole in our soul, this spot that we're so desperately trying to fill And it was created perfectly to just fit God and only God. That's what that hole is there for. You see, God wants us to raise that struggle to him, to raise it, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then to raise our struggle, right? And we can't take our eye off the Father. The enemy is tricky, and it doesn't take much for him to be able to devour us, to get in, to tempt us. So we must be watchful, church. We must be. We have to be alert. We have to stay awake. And if we're just numbed by addictions, how can we be alert and awake? How can you tell if the enemy is coming, if you're stoned or tipsy 
or your head is stuck in your phone for eight hours a day. And again, I'm not judging. I'm not. I'm just saying we've got to be alert. And how do we do that if we're just submersed in things that help us to not face our emotions and the character development that we want with God? Right? Jesus said, watch and pray. Church, don't be bored or dulled or yawning about your relationship with Jesus Christ. It should be the most passionate, most exciting part of your life. Because we need to be alert. We need to watch and to pray. And I hope right now, just in the chat, you'll just, just type in there, watch and pray, watch and pray. And if there's like a hundred chat messages that go through that say, watch and pray, we've got to hear this. You see, God wants to fill this hole. And what happens is that when we let the living God pour his loving, graceful forgiveness over every single one of us, what happens is all those temptations, they come to the top or they just get the heck out of there because there's no room for them because we are filled to capacity with the Holy Spirit. Amen. So can I battle temptation with God's help? Yes. Yes, I can, because I raise it to him. And I want you just to say that with me. Say, raise it. Say, raise it. Raise it. Can I defeat fear with God's help? Yes, I can, because I raise it. I give it to him. Can I overcome addictions with God's help? Yes, because I raise it, because I give it to him. Can I repair the broken relationships with my family? Yes, because I raise it. It. You know, I can't do it for you, but you can raise it. You can give it to Jesus because he wants to do it for you. He wants to work in that situation in your life. So raise it, raise it. You know, Jesus is in the business of resurrection, and he wants to raise that in your life. He wants to breathe new life into you. He wants to do CPR in your struggles. He actually wants to resuscitate you and resurrect your life your family, your relationships, your marriage, your work, but we have to raise it. God wants to overcome in our lives. He wants to break us free from addiction, but we need to resist temptation and raise it. We need to do CPR. And I found this um, little acronym online, CPR, and it means confess, prayer, and praise, and read your Bible. You see, we are responsible for our own Christian character. And my hope is that our new normal is taking responsibility for our spiritual growth. That we find personal, devotional, life fulfilling and rewarding and passionate. That we make CPR part of what we do every single day. That we confess, that we come to the Father, that we pray that we praise, and that we read God's word. This is how we're going to stay, stay alert, my dear friends. And it isn't going to be easy. Character development never is. But let me promise you, it is worth it. 
I promise it is worth it. The effort is worth it because you are going to know God more than you've ever known. You're going to be filled with the Spirit more than you ever have, and you're going to start to reflect His goodness and His character. But that means accountability and commitment. We have to raise it. We have to give it to God. We have to ask Him to do CPR in our lives and in the lives of our family. Church, let's fight this battle against all these distractions together. Let's together raise it to God. If you are struggling with a deep addiction, our team has gathered resources for you, and there's a tab at the top of your screen that says Breaking Free, and you can also find it on our website. We want to support you as you break free from addiction and fight temptation. So please take a look at those resources. I know you're in your homes, but I would love it if you would stand with me. It might feel a little awkward or goofy, but please, let's just stand as we close together. If you are hearing for the first time that God has his arms wide open to you, I want you to respond. You see, you are loved. God is welcoming you home. His love for you is lavish. No matter what your past is, no matter what mistakes you have made, his arms are open wide and he says, come, come to the Father, come to me. And if that's you, I just want to ask you if you would close your eyes and pray this prayer in your heart as I say it. Jesus, I admit you are my Savior. I admit that you died to forgive me of my sins. Jesus, forgive me. I've made so many mistakes and I need you. I need your forgiveness. So I admit it. Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died, that, that you rose again, and that you deposit the Holy Spirit into my life. I believe, I believe in the power of your blood. I believe in what you have accomplished for me. I believe, Jesus. And I confess, I confess to everyone that I love you, that I want you to be the center of my life, that I want you to be on high in my life, that you would be the priority in my life. And so I confess it. I confess, Jesus. I confess that you are so good and I want you in my life. And if you've done that, I would love for you just to click the button on the screen that says, I asked Jesus into my heart today. And I want you to know there is a party in heaven for you. And we celebrate with you. Please fill out our Connect card so that we can be in touch with you and help you to spiritually grow. You don't need to do this on your own. We don't want you to. So please respond so that we can partner with you as you get to know God more. And for the rest of us that are prodigals coming back to God, I just want to ask if you would... If you're not standing, just stand and let's just pray and ask Jesus. Jesus, would you forgive us? Jesus, we just want to place our temptation and struggle and addiction into your hands, Lord God. 
We just let it go. We just release the burden that it has been to us, Jesus. We surrender and we just ask for that, that coat of salvation, Lord God, the coat of Christian character, Lord Jesus. We just ask that we could just trade that in, Father, because you are an overcomer, because you do break free, because you are powerful. Oh, Jesus, take our addictions, take our temptations and our distractions and the way that we've been numbing our emotions, Lord God, all of these things. We just ask that you take them, Father. Forgive us for them, Lord Jesus. And Jesus, let us raise our praise to you, Lord God. Let us raise it to you because you are worthy because you are that father with the arms wide open for every single one of us. And no matter what mistakes we've made, that you're just waiting there for us, every one of us, just to welcome us home. Welcome home. Church, just hear those words from the Father. He's saying to you right now, welcome home, my child. Welcome home. I never created this, that you would do this by yourself. I always wanted to be your overcomer. I always wanted to resurrect life in you. Oh, church, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. In his name we pray, amen.